My name is Mark Madison, and I am so very proud to have Fujitsu General America as a sponsor. At Fujitsu, they're focused on partnering with the best distributors and contractors to ensure that each Fujitsu heating and cooling system brings infinite comfort to every end user. Michelangelo Caruso teaches people how to be better speakers, presenters, so they can help more people and amp up their careers. He utilizes his unique background in technology sector and a separate career in the entertainment business to deliver keynote speeches that feel like a combination of your best teacher and your favorite comedian. He delivers about 70 presentations a year. He's spoken on five continents and 49 of the 50 states. Welcome, Michael. Good morning. Mark Madison here on Books and People. Today we have the privilege of interviewing my old and dear friend, Michael Angelo Caruso. Michael, how are you today? I'm not that old, man. <laughs> I just meant the friendship was old. You're just a young yeah. buck. We've known each other for decades, man. What a pleasure. I, I was trying to remember how we met. Had to be on the circuit somewhere, yeah? I, you know what I think it was? I think a guy, and I, I remember his name now, uh, somebody reached out to me and wanted to start a, a kind of a, a group of speakers. And you and I were, I, of all the speakers that were there, I only felt a connection to you. And I think I reached out to you privately and we just started talking. And the next thing I know, we're doing a seminar together down in Norman, Oklahoma. I remember now, that was a, um, it was like a coaching, um, it was like a, what do you call that? Mastermind class. Yes, like a mixed group or mastermind group, yeah. Exactly. He, yeah. So listen, you got me thinking about this now. So <laughs> uh, I joined the mastermind and I was in it for about a year and a half. Nothing really came from it. I, I, we got a few tips and stuff, but no real, not the real kind of bang that we thought we were going to get. My right. friendship with you has been 10 times more rewarding than anybody in the mastermind group. And you didn't even join the damn group. Right. And I'll never forget as long as I live, you gave me a referral to the Blind Merchants Association. <laughs> and I did that. I did that presentation. And as I was putting the PowerPoint presentation together, I remember thinking, I don't need this. I don't need PowerPoint. I, I, I maybe I should like not have it. Maybe you needed it for your talking points. I, I back then I did. Now I don't use PowerPoint, but I just found great irony in that. I got a funny anecdote from that gig too, because I, I worked for them. One of the reasons you got the referral was, you know. Uh, for those of you that are listening, little behind-the-scenes keynote intel, is that once you've pulled out your bag of tricks for an audience, they often don't want to hear from you again in this lifetime. But they ask, you know, do you know anybody else that has kind of like your style that you'd like to uh, that you'd like to uh, refer to us? And that's what that's how you got the gig, Mark. And and I, and you did a great job for them. I got amazing feedback. Yes. When I was doing the gig, I I, I always worked the room like you do. And I'm walking around the room and there were some people. And of course, everyone in the room is blind, right? Because it's the right. National Blind Association or whatever, Association right. for the Blind. And there was people sitting behind this um, I-beam, this big column that was in the room. And I actually said to them, you know, you're not going to be able to see that well. From uh. <laughs> you might want to move. And they go, no, we're good. And I'm, I'm like, why did they say that? Oh, I know why. Right. Oops, I sliced in the woods and they didn't even know. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. It was such an unusual gig. And it's one of the things about being in the speaking business is you just run across the most interesting people. 
And that's exactly right. And the, and the guy that was the executive director of that association was an amazing guy. And, you know, Kevin what he Rooney. accomplished and what he did and his attitude towards life was, just, I just remember thinking, geez, I hope, I hope I, I can be half as enthusiastic and, and professional as this guy. So, you know, I had yeah. the pleasure of interviewing another blind gentleman. This, uh, this gentleman is uh, uh, Dino Terrace is his last name. I think it's David. He's in my podcast. You should look him up too. He's a good guy. And he's got a lot of, he's got this spirit that you're talking about with Kevin, you know, that you can go through life blind and still have a good attitude, man. You, you're taking, you're eating the right kind of food. Exactly. Dino yeah. Terrace Kevin. Me, Dino Terrace told me something fascinating because I was, I was talking to him about, because it's hard enough just to be a, on the speaking circuit, but to be blind and travel alone, I just couldn't get my head around this. So I kept asking him questions about how he did it. And I said, well, he was talking about something about getting off of a uh, train station at an airport, you know, like the big ones have um, Atlanta and places like this. Right. And uh, I said, well, David, uh, just a question here. I mean, I don't know. I don't know your world. Help me understand. When you get off that train, how do you even know how to find the escalator? And he said something to me. I'll never forget, Mark. It was so brilliant and so simple. He said, I just, I just listen for where everyone else is going. Uh, because where else where else are you going to go when you get off the train in the subway right they're all going left i can hear them i better follow them <laughs> we take know, so many things for granted don't we yeah I mean, not the least of which is our sight yeah so how did you get started as a speaker uh i came up to the music business <clears throat> i was on stage uh for about 2,000 performances in North America with my brothers uh, as That's the Caruso right. Brothers Band. And we did the college circuit. And we played every, every uh, dark nightclub in, in the Midwest. <laughs> and I got used to being in front of the audience. I didn't know I was going to be a speaker, but it turned out to be boot camp for speaking. Right. I had a couple of transitory jobs when the band broke up. And I, I just, I had that, it's almost like a, we were watching a show last night called um, Comedy Loves Misery or Misery Loves Comedy. Uh, they interview a lot of comedians about why they're in the business and that sort of thing. Right. And they talked about comedy being a drug, this, this, this physical need almost, this physiological need to be in front of people and please them. Yes. And I got that as a musician. And I think a lot of, mus a lot of uh, speakers have it as well. And the only way I could get my fix, I think you may add this too, Mark. Yes. The only way I could get my fix was to be live again in front of people. And yes. since I had kind of outgrown the music business, I thought, well, I can, I can still do this, but I have to recreate myself in another industry. And, and that happened to be the speaking business. I, to this day, I say I still, there's so much in common with the music musicians. I still tour, I still sign autographs, and I still have roadies. Right. But no groupies. Well, sure. And, and you know, you're, you're right. Mine was basketball. Yes. And again, the, ad people, yeah. the adulation of the crowd, people coming up to you afterwards, you know, I played on winning teams and I was usually the leading scorer. And, and you know what, the first time I spoke, it was the exact same dynamic. And I just yeah, remember thinking, people, I got to do this again. You know, sometimes when I talk to people about this, I, I feel bad for about a half a second because I'm such an attention whore. But I think, I think most people in life do things either to gain attention or to avoid it. 
Right. And once I became, once I had some clarity on that, I didn't think about it being, you know, the seamier side of, of ego and narcissism and all those things that most of us have some, you know, component of. I just thought, well, if I can manage this in a healthy way, what if I could, what if I could be in front of people like attention and serve people really well? Right. What if I could make their day? What if I could educate them on some facet of life? Then everybody wins and I'm not such a bad guy. And once I got straight on that, uh, I was good, man. Just set me on, set me on the course. Would you consider yourself an extrovert? Oh yeah. A hundred percent. Interesting. And yet you write. Yeah, I love writing. It's a different kind of payback for me. And I know you do both. Uh, so let's compare notes. Um, I love what you mentioned a minute ago, the adulation. The, it's, it's instant gratification in a way, because if you do a 40-minute keynote and you, and you bang it, good things are about to happen for you. Yes. But if and you're writing a book in your solitude, you still get a payback, but it's way delayed, man. Because I've heard it takes as long as 18 months to birth a book. And I've done it longer than that. I've done it shorter than that. But let's say 18 months for the sake of conversation today is, um, is uh, that's a long time to wait for an attaboy. <laughs> yes. Well, that's why a lot of actors uh, move away from doing film and do live theater. Yes. For that exact same reason. Even though theater, I think there's a lot more pressure and it's a lot more difficult. It's more of a fine art, if you will. Yes. But the payback's got to be, and I've never done theater, but I imagine the payback's got to be that much more rewarding. Yeah. Well, my senior year, I was asked to put a skit together, and, and so I wrote, this, I wrote this play of sorts with the basketball team, and it was funny, and, you know, and, and everybody loved it. And it was, it was the first time I was asked to kind of put something together like that. Yeah. And, of course, in the annual, there's pictures of all of it, and it was just crazy stuff. We just did silly stuff, but but it worked and it was like, wow, I, I like doing this. This yeah. is fun. But I denied that in myself for a long, long time. And you know, Michael, I'm, I'm what's called an ambivert. That's in the middle. I, I'm an extrovert and an introvert, but an ambivert basically is a situational extrovert. When it's time for me to get up on the stage, you know, then I become this guy. But when it's time to sit down and write, I, yeah. I love the solitude. Don't you think most people are like that, though? They're, they're situational? Oh, I think so. Yeah, to a greater or lesser degree on that scale. Just depends on where you are. I mean, I, you've, since we both teach people how to speak and how to make presentations, you know there's always that one person who goes, I'm terrified. I don't want to do this. This is terrible. I'm an engineer. What am I, why am I ever going to use this? Right? So he's clearly on the introvert scale. And just what's, what's the old joke? The number one fear men have is public speaking. Number two is death. That means yeah. they'd rather be in the casket than deliver the eulogy. Yeah. You know? But, you know, um, uh, I meet people in, a lot of people in the business still because of meeting planners and corporate work and stuff like that. I know you do as well. Um, and, they, you know, a lot of them take themselves too seriously. There's a lot of pretense. And, and I'm right. talking to the person and I realize I'm not really talking to the real person. I'm talking to who they are during the day from nine to five. Right. And I think to myself sometimes, you know, I bet they're not like this with a five-year-old when they're playing on the floor at night. And then I think, which one's the real them? Right. And it's got to be the one on the, on the floor with the kid. So I try to bring more of that part of myself to my daytime because, uh, as you know, the big trick to being uh, good at speaking, and I've, I've spent uh, the better part of the last five years 
not just uh, keynoting and writing, but teaching presentation skills. I now have a, an online present like a pro course where I, I teach people, authors, salespeople, business leaders, how to be better speakers. And we teach them authenticity because when you're natural, you're believable. When you're believable, uh, good things happen. Yes. But, but most people that, you know, like you mentioned, they get in front of people, they're all nervous. They can't be themselves. And since they can't be themselves, they can't be authentic. And since they're not authentic, they're not believable. And then the, the CTA, the call to action goes to shit. And that's, well, I think, the challenge most people have. And it's, what you're saying is, you know, your job is what you do, but who are you as a person? Yeah. And the more you let that authentic self out, that, the vulnerability of that. I, I remember reading some things you wrote about your father. Yeah. And that was really profound. And it had an impact on me because I started doing the same thing. I started telling stories about my dad. And yeah. then there was, there's not a dry eye in the house. This woman came up to me afterwards. She goes, she made me cry twice today. And I was like, <laughs> well, were they good tears? I said, she said, yeah, but you know, I wasn't expecting that. It's like, well, <laughs> you know, I just, just telling you some stories about what happened when I was younger. And tell us a little bit about your dad. He obviously had a profound effect on you and your brothers. Yeah, uh, I think everybody thinks their dad is the greatest. Again, in that comedy special I was telling you about, uh, there were there's a whole segment on how they got to be funny. And so many of the guys and gals, the comedians said, my dad was the guy that made me laugh. My dad was the entertainer in the family. Yes. Uh, my dad was Italian, Caruso. My mom was German, Manthe. My dad was the life of the party, great sense of humor. My mom, German. <laughs> <laughs> My mother-in-law was German, so I remember. It was very kind of serious, yeah. Yeah. And so my dad also had the gift of music. He was a fantastic trumpet player, so he had that entertainment stripe. And so he, he could tell a joke. He could, he could entertain musically. Um, my dad had a saying um, that when somebody meets you, if they forget that they met you, it's the worst insult ever. Uh -huh. and so he worked really hard at things like first impressions and making people laugh and, you know, um, having a good word for people. And, and they were great life lessons for me. When I got started in the business, I didn't have any of my own content. So I just did what most people do. They talk about what they know. I knew right. my dad I knew all these stories he had told me over and over and over again. And it turned out that those lessons that were so valuable for me have also had value for other people. So I, one of my early information products, I created an audiobook called Dear Michelangelo. That's what I remember. Yeah. Yeah. That's when you're talking about. I, I essentially read my father's letters into a, a tape recorder, probably a cassette recorder back then. I don't remember. You did. Um, and it's been a bestseller for me, uh, not because of me, but because of my pop. And I'm sure he's, um, if, he, if he knew about it, he'd be very proud that, that his lessons, you know, his name was Mickey that Mickey's uh, still entertaining and still helping people. I think he'd get a big kick out of that. Well, there's an old expression. People will forget what you do. They'll forget what you say, but they'll always remember how you made them feel. 100%. And I think uh, I was watching uh, Michael Jackson, uh, Spike Lee's documentary on Michael Jackson, Off the Wall, and they were interviewing John Legend. And he said, what constitutes a hit song? And Legend considered the question. And of course, he's an EGOT winner, right? So the guy... The guy, the guy knows how to write the hits. And he said, it's got to be personal and universal. Yeah, I remember um, 
and I know a bit about this because because of, of my time in the music business. We actually, you know, composed songs and produced. Uh, God, my gosh, we went from cassettes, we went from vinyl to cassettes to CDs during our short music career. Yes. But um, I think, and don't quote me on this, but I think it was um, Peter Townsend. They were asking him about the art of songwriting, and he said. They were asking him, you know, if a certain song was about, you know, his wife or something. He said, don't be silly. I don't write songs about me. I write my songs about you. Yes. Which I think makes you ultimately very um, um, relatable, right? Right. Now, what are we do, so what are we going to do with Michael Jackson? You know, he's got this uh, checkered reputation now, this uh, checkered past. There are radio stations that have stopped playing him because of some things that, and by the way, he was never convicted. It, it just kind of like a trial, a trial by Twitter, which Michael Jackson's the real Michael Jackson. Is it the one we remember that gave us so much joy in his music and dancing and concerts? Or is it, is it public opinion? Do you, do, you ever, do you ever debate that kind of stuff in your own head? Well, I do because, it, you know, the guy had such a profound effect effect on a lot of people's lives he made a lot of people happy but at the same time i saw him live when i was 13 my sister dragged me to a michael jackson the jackson five concert yeah and i was blown away by what he was able to do on the stage but uh you know what he did off the stage and especially as the years went by and it got stranger and stranger you, i just i kind of i did the same thing i kind of distanced myself from his music for a while but then a part of me my son came over one day and he was playing uh a guy named Weekend. I guess he's he uh, he's a rapper and and he sounds a lot like Michael Jackson by you know intentionally. And then so I said, well, Evan, have you ever heard you know Off the Wall? And I played him that, and it's, it was wow, that is a great record. So I've kind of come full circle again and yeah. separating you know the person and the weird stuff that he did with the the joy and the value that he brought as a musician and entertainer. You know, I don't spend a lot of time thinking about my own legacy. I'm probably too young and have too many other things on my mind to worry about that. But I would hope that people remember me as a, as a complete person and not maybe the worst three things I ever did in my life. Right. Uh, I think people are complicated. And we're hearing now about, you know, uh, revisionists in history. You know, Thomas Jefferson, it turns out, wasn't such a good guy because he owned uh slaves and right. and slept with one of them and fathered children with, with Sally Hemings and you know therefore he, therefore he wasn't a good president and I like to think that I'm sophisticated enough that I can keep both those things in my head at the same time right that he was the third president of the United States um that that he was still a, a very effective leader for us one of the fathers of our country and yet he had some <laughs> he had some issues I mean, aren't, aren't most of us like that? Yeah, I think there's a little bad in the best of us and a little good in the worst of us. For sure. And I, and I think if you, you know, I just, I just wrote an article up, uh, this morning about, uh, about kindness and, and serving others. And uh, ich dien is the term, I serve. The Prince of Wales, that was his motto. But I profiled Buddy Holly, you know, in the, in the, uh, Oh, the, the smoothed over version with Gary Busey in 78, his, his biopic was, you know, entertaining and shed, shed him in a very kind of positive light. But I read a biography about him uh, a year ago and, you know, he, he could be cruel and demanding and, 
and unkind, but at the same time, you could turn right around and be generous and thoughtful and, and go the extra mile. So, you know, I concluded that there's a little bad uh, in the best of us and a little good in the worst of us. And I think that duality really kind of, we're inhabited by that. I don't think anyone's you know, free from that. No, um, it's just something about society now where people are more vocal about what they don't like. And, and uh, it seems like that gets more oxygen than it used to, you know? And I'm yes. not sure if it's better or worse because, because at the end of the discussion, what have you got? You've still got complicated people with good and bad qualities. They still have a body of work. They still did a lot of good things. At what point do those good things become negated? I don't know. Even if, the, even if, let's say, Michael Jackson would have been convicted and sent to prison, does that mean ABC isn't a kick-ass song? Right. I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't know how that works. Uh, we, we have so much, you know, we've actually left the information age. We're in the experiential age now. But everybody can find out any, everything about anything. And sometimes that information just gets us bogged down. I think we, we start to get really... What's that old saying? Paralysis by analysis. We just turn the dirt over, over and over and over again. And at some point, uh, you know, for for individual peace of mind, you have to let some of that stuff go. I, I've just stopped reading the paper, and I scan the sports page. I look for hopeful stories, but I I'm spending my mornings, you know, the first hour of every day reading something inspirational, something spiritual, something that inspires and motivates me because I just. I can't. I can't do it. I don't watch the news on TV. I don't listen to it on the radio. And I sure don't read the paper. Uh, yeah, I don't find it to be that um, nutritious. A lot of the news is uh, pre-digested, which I find insulting. It reminds me of the old laugh tracks on uh, sitcoms. Remember when yeah. it was like prompting you to laugh because you were too stupid to figure that out for yourself. <laughs> and, and the news is the same thing. You know, l- let's tell you the news and then we're going to tell you what you should think. We're going to tell you our version of it, first of all. And then we're going to tell you what you th- should think of our version of the news. Right. And then, since you like what you like, we know you're going to be back to only listen to our version of the news. So we'll have like this little cult following. And it just sounds like a little racket to me. And I, 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 just, I guess I'm too much of an independent thinker to sign on. But I agree with you 100% about the negativity and just skipping it in the morning and skipping it in the, certainly skipping it in the evening before I go to bed. Uh, hey, I, I listen to my own podcast. I listen to other people's podcasts, and I've I've subscribed to Windshield University for over thirty years. I listen to audiobooks while I drive. We have a yeah. place over in Chelan. It's a three-hour drive, and I listen to The Gold Bug by Edgar Allan Poe. Now, if you yeah. want, if you want to hear one of the most extraordinary stories ever written, and uh, I found that by watching uh, Blacklist. You know, oh yeah, James Spader's character talks about. He talked about the gold bug, and I went, what? I just, I never heard of that short story, so I downloaded it on Audible, and it just blew me away. It wasn't just the quality of the writing, which was first-rate, phenomenal, Shakespearean, but it's this fantastic story, and it occupied the two-plus hours of that drive, and I just couldn't turn it off. Yeah. And that's what I choose to put inside my head. Yeah, it's, it's garbage in, garbage out, isn't it, Michael? hundred percent. And we, we, we've had a lot of pop references in this, um, in this conversation so far, and I love it. Uh, I've been binging on a show called uh, Billions, and it has oh. a lot of those uh, pop references, too. I don't know if Edgar Allan Poe is pop, but these kind of um, 
asides. And sometimes it's just one line. And then right. you Google it up and you see that thousands of people have checked the, the billions reference or the, or the blacklist reference. Yes. And, um, I saw one the other day, this kind of thing like you would do because you have this kind of a mind as well, is they said something about some, a term called recreational depth. And I never heard it before, but my ears pricked up, you know, and I actually wrote it down during the show. And then I checked it the next morning. Have you heard the term? No. Recreational depth is a diving term. And it's used, uh, it's, there's some technical stuff in it, like how far you, down you could go and that kind of stuff. Sure. But it's essentially used to, as a demarcation point between amateurs and professionals. Interesting. And then I, I automatically started thinking about, well, how can I use this in talks and, and in um, podcasts and in articles and in blogs and stuff like that? Because recreational depth is the depth to which most people are comfortable talking about a given topic. Yes. But as keynote speakers, we're obligated to go deeper than recreational depth, right? That's why we're getting paid. Right. And it bugs me a lot when I see speakers who uh, are only giving us recreational depth. They're giving us a recapitulation of stuff that everybody already knows or cliches or... John, John Wooden did that when I heard him in 93. It was a can 45-minute speech that he delivered a thousand times. John, the John Wooden? Yes. But on one hand, I didn't care because it was the Wizard of Westwood. On the other hand, I thought, I'd love to hear what else he talks about when he's talking to his players or he's talking to his family. The same thing we were talking about earlier. Well, hopefully I, it was original content, yeah. Oh, it was. It was his philosophy. It was his pyramid of success and all that. It was phenomenal. And I had yeah. the opportunity to ask him two questions. Uh, what was your favorite book? He said, other than the Bible, he said, Magnus Obsession by Lloyd C. Douglas, which I promptly read, and that inspired me to write Freedom from Fear. But the other thing he said, and I thought this was profound, he said, I miss the planning that I used to do with my coaches. We would plan every practice for two hours every day. Well, and that's how detailed he was. And I talked to Sven Nader, who played for him, and he said that he had a series of three to five minute, like almost like mini workshops, right? They were yeah. stations that everybody went to, and you worked really hard on that one thing for five minutes, and then you rotated. And Sven yeah. said the practices were so hard that when it came to time for the game, games were easy. Games were like taking a break. Right. Well, it's so, like, uh... so it's, that, it's that going deeper, right? That's what you and I are looking for. We're looking for something below that, that cursory level. Yeah, and I, I don't just look for it in uh, speakers and presentations. Uh, you know, uh, us keynote speakers, we have to sit through a lot of other keynotes. Most people don't realize that, but you're at a conference. Yes. And you're there for the dinner keynote. You're probably going to hear the lunch keynote and maybe even the breakfast keynote if you came in the day before, which is speakers one, Speaker Law 101. But um, uh, what's interesting to me is I, I, I find myself looking for something deeper than recreational depth uh in all walks of life my biggest pet peeve is interviewers like we i hear a lot of a former musician i watch a lot of musicians being interviewed and they, and all the interviews ask the same damn questions you know uh do you, what do you write first the words of the the words of the music one guy right. really mentioned up he goes what do you write first the words or the lyrics oops <laughs> <laughs> well bernie taupin would say yes yeah right Oh my gosh. Hey, we're, we're going to run out of time here. So I better ask a couple of important questions. Uh, what advice would you offer somebody who wants to be a speaker? Three, three things. 
Yeah, same uh, Dale Carnegie advice. Uh, uh, if if you want to get better at something, just do it. You know, and find find trick ways to participate. Like um, in a Q and A session with a with a group, and somebody says, "Does anybody have any questions?" And you get your hand up right away, even if yeah. you don't have a question. And they say, "Yeah, what is it, Michael?" Well, I don't have a question. I just want to say, a fantastic presentation. I really enjoyed it. I specifically like this part of it. And now you had practice speaking. Yes. I think just do it more often. Speak up. Yeah. How does somebody get a hold of you if they want to? Uh, they want to reach out. I'm easy on uh, easy to find. I'm all over social media. Um, uh, the website is uh, cleverly named MichaelAngeloCaruso.com. Wow. I've got over 700 videos now in my YouTube channel, so subscribe to that, ring that silver bell, and get notified of new videos. And uh, I'm easy to find online. Thanks for asking. Or indeed. Well, parting advice. Parting shot. Yes? I'm asking you. Oh, for me? <laughs> yeah. So, so Michael, P.S., I thought you were going to give me a parting shot. No, well, I will in a minute, but uh, no. Uh, you know, we're in an interesting time right now where we need each other more than ever. I just say, uh, be compassionate, man. Try not to be so hard on people. We're all going through this for the first time. Relax, enjoy the ride, stop being so critical, and enjoy the party. Yeah, that's great. That's great advice. I read a, I read a biography on Warren Zevon. A friend of mine lent it to me. And I, from from the first time Excitable Boy came out in the late 70s, I was hooked on Zevon's lyrics and just to the musicians, all of it. You know, just an unbelievable record. Yeah. But as you know, his story, he had cancer and, and uh, Letterman had him on his show. And I was watching the interview and he said, Letterman said, you know, what advice would you offer somebody, you know, now that, you know, you get the clock sticking. And he said, you know, David, enjoy every sandwich. <laughs> yeah. Which, as a speaker, I like because it sounded like he was going to say, enjoy every second, but he says sandwich. That's beautiful. It I did beautiful. see that interview, and it's compelling because Letterman knows this guy's going to die. Yes. And, and Zivon knows he's going to die. Yes. And it was compelling TV. Um, it's on YouTube, everybody. Check it out. Yeah, it's, it's phenomenal. Well, my friend, as always, just a joy to talk to you. Uh, thank you so much for carving out the time to, to do this today. My pleasure, Mark. Uh, best of luck to you, man. And thanks for making the world a better place. Uh, you do the same. Hey, make it a great day unless you have other plans. This podcast is brought to you by the team at Fujitsu General America. And like this podcast, they're focused on education and development. From the day they sold their first comfort system in North America, they've been unwavering in their focus on training. It doesn't matter if it's application, installation, or service. A better trained technician brings better value to the homeowner. So when you're looking for infinite comfort, think Fujitsu. Thank you for listening. If I struck a chord, inspire you to action, or piqued your curiosity, let me know. Call or text me at 206-697-0454 or send me an email at mark at sparkingsuccess.net. Should you wish to hire me to speak to your organization or association or order one of my books, simply go to my website www.sparkingsuccess.net And remember, make it a great day unless you have other plans.